to Sweet Tea and Strategy, a podcast by Ackerman Marketing and PR featuring business and community leaders throughout Tennessee, talking about issues and trends of importance to our state and beyond, and hearing some of their very best sweet tea recipes and tea sipping stories. <laughs> Delighted to have as our guest today, Bill Haslam, former governor of the state of Tennessee, who certainly needs no introduction to our listeners, I'm sure. Uh, welcome, Bill, and we so appreciate you spending this time with us, catching us up on what you're doing and how things are in your life now that you and Chrissy have moved back to Knoxville. We well, thanks. You. It's good. To, it's good to be with you, and it's good to uh, see you, even if it is virtually. Uh, I know. Uh, Someday we'll all we, see we, each other in person. Yeah. I, I'm ready. I'm ready for those days. Absolutely. So uh, to start off, staying true to the name of our little podcast. Uh, are you a sweet tea drinker? And if so, do you have a favorite recipe or a favorite watering hole in the state somewhere that has the best sweet tea ever? You know, I, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be a heretic here. Unfortunately, I've I trained myself to move from sweet tea to unsweet tea about 20 years ago because I realized uh, how much uh, how how much that sweet tea was was banking on uh, in terms of the the calorie pack. So uh, I love iced tea and I'm fairly addicted to it, but I've learned to uh, to do without the sugar. There you go. You're you're my new role model. I need to do. That. <laughs> um, so thanks for indulging us on that. And and with that, I want to just move right into talking to you about what life has been like for you since leaving public office and how you're spending your time these days. Besides spoiling all of your cute grandchildren, uh, <laughs> and how many do you have now? We have ten grandkids, so that has actually become a huge part of our life. Uh, three kids, three grandkids here, uh, three or four in Nashville, and three in Colorado. So we work hard to try to stay in their lives. Chrissy and I feel like for the uh, eight years we were in the governor's office, uh, we missed uh, we missed more of uh, of the early days with those grandkids than we would like to have liked to. So. We're, we're fairly focused on that. Um, yes. You know, when you get out of office, everybody says, you know, don't say yes to anything, you know, get, give yourself some time. And I was not very good at following that advice. So <laughs> I, I said yes to a lot of uh, boards uh, across the country. Uh, they've taken time. We've been involved, been involved in some business things. Uh, and then I have uh, just finished writing a book, which comes out uh, in uh, at the end of May. So th- those things have kind of occupied a lot of time. You've been busy. So tell me about the and book. What's the what's the the book? The book. Yeah, the book. The book is called Faithful Presence. You can you can pre order it now on Amazon or Audible or wherever you wherever you get books. Um, it's my view of the right role of faith in the public square. Um, we've had a long history of debate in this country about what's the right role of religion and public life, et cetera. And this is my take after being in office for 15 years of the right role that I think people of faith should play uh, in, the, in the public debate. Is there a summary statement or two on that that you think? Well, we- I, I think it's this. Uh, I mean, I, I think what I'd summarize is this, you know, everybody knows this country is locked in this partisan divide and, you know, the word polarization has become a pretty, uh, you know, pretty commonly used. And uh, as I say, fortunately, we have a vaccine for the pandemic we're trying to get through, but there's no vaccine for polarization. Um, And we're we're not only, like I said, we not only do we disagree, but we're we're mad about it uh, and even contemptuous. And we even think the other side has bad motives. And one of the things that I talk about is, so walking into that, how can people of faith be folks who 
contribute to solving that problem instead of exacerbating exacerbating it, which has too often been the case in the past. Right. And it and it seems like faith is even used to uh, fuel the fires of anger from time to time. We've seen. So much I, of that. I I think it is, and um, you know the whereas the part of what I talk about is what if people of faith approached um, the public square with the, 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 the certainty of what they believe in. I'm not, asking, I'm not asking people just to be in the kind of mushy middle of, of not believing anything, but with a recognition of the humility that we're called to have. Yes. And uh, if we approach arguments with a not, my job is to try to prove that I'm right and change your mind, but uh, how do we get to the best answer? Right. You know, one of the ways, one of the ways that uh, the Bible describes wisdom as being um, pure, peaceful, uh, open to reason, uh, gentle and sincere. And I don't think that's unfortunately how most people would describe people of faith in the public square. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I can't wait to read it. I'll, I'll hop on Amazon and, and get a copy as soon as I can. Uh, Perfect. You've also been very focused. I know the whole time that I've known you. Uh, on your foundation and the work that you're committed to there, are you still very involved in your in your family foundation? And what are some of the priorities there? Well, we, you know, we the answer is yes. Um, and one of the key things that Chrissy and I have uh, continued to focus on is public education. Just you know, maybe the key key thing we focused on in our time in office. And I'm just I'm 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 I've become convinced that of the big challenges we face as a country, that public education has to be at the core of solving those problems. And uh, it's hard. Um, there, there's a there's hundred reasons that people can give up and say it's just really, really hard to move the needle over time. But if you look at things like anything from uh, our health outcomes to income inequality to, our, to the desire to have people be better public citizens, I honestly think that um, uh, public education is our best hope for changing that. Yeah, and even family stability issues, I think, come back to the importance of having that education for kids that aren't getting what they need at home. Well, there, there's no question, and I've I've always been kind of a data geek, and you know, what do the numbers tell us? And that's a hundred percent what the numbers tell us. So um, we, we've continued to focus on uh, on public education, and then. Uh, things that kind of impact this community that we live in now. And talk about a little bit while we're talking the subject of education, how that relates directly to economic development. Our yeah, you, you know, one of the one of the key things that, you know, I sort of thought when I went to be governor, but I left, you know, convicted it was 100 percent right is uh, the con- the connection between having an educated workforce and being able to attract the high quality jobs, you know, and in Tennessee, we, 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 for a long time, I say people trusted us to make their cars, but they didn't trust us to design them. Right. They trusted us to, to, to be meant to, to do the manufacturing. And we love those jobs. Those are great, high quality jobs in Tennessee, the, the manufacturing jobs, which we really have brought back in Tennessee. But we want to take the next step and say, we also want to have the executives of those firms and the people doing R&D uh, located in Tennessee. And <clears throat> one of the things that struck me uh, when I was early, my, my second year in office is we had a firm come in and do a do research. This is in 2012 and say, hey, by 2025, 
55% of the jobs in Tennessee are going to require a degree or certificate. And I thought, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Where are we now? And they said 32%. And so we knew we had to do something to dramatically increase the college going rate. And that's when we launched Tennessee Promise, the, you know, the first state to have two years free of community college or technical school. And it's, uh, we still have a long way to go, but we have to tie in to uh, that, the connection between jobs and education so that we can say to those to that workforce yeah, or, or to that employer, yeah, we will have the workforce you need here. And we're not being honest with our citizens if we're not telling them what's going to require for you to succeed in the future um, is, is going to mean more, is much more likely to require more education than it has in the past. You know, it's interesting. I had a conversation just this past week with a, an executive of a company who's considering moving to Tennessee, to Knoxville, as a matter of fact. And uh, he said that one of the big differences, the differentiators for them in their decision-making process, is that they are talking to a couple of other states where there are nearby universities who are very well-reputed and wonderful and turn out the kind of graduates that they need, but that they have very weak community, uh, community college systems. Yeah. And, and he pointed to the fact that, that Tennessee has a very strong community college system and is getting stronger all the time. So well, we really that whole mosaic of education is so important. No, I think, I think that's right. And we really do in Tennessee. It's underappreciated. We have this great network of community colleges. We're trying to make them not just uh, free, uh, but readily accessible geographically to folks. And what I tell people is higher education is a little bit like a battleship, getting it changed to meet the... Uh, the demands of the workforce takes a little while, um, particularly at our at our four-year universities. But community colleges, are they can be like little speedboats, and they can change direction. So if an employer comes in and says, we really need you to produce more, uh, if it's more welders or more IT professionals or more nurses or whatever it is, we I think we have the ability to do that with our community colleges and to react on a dime. Right. And I think the connection, too, and we found that out in spades this year, between education and health care is so critically important on many, many levels. It, it is, and I think that's the other thing we, we have to focus on more as Tennesseans. You know, what, one of the things the pandemic uh, exposed is that we, we, all picked, learned the, or we all picked up the term underlying conditions. Yes. And, you know, we learned that the most vulnerable people in the pandemic are people that had underlying conditions. Now, sometimes those are things that, they, that we're born with and we can't do anything about, but frequently they're the result of our own health choices. And I think we, in Tennessee, we can do a lot better job of making smart choices that will, you know, help us be prepared for those, those so that we won't be so vulnerable the next time. Exactly. So, Bill, when you were in office, when you were governor, what do you think is the single most significant thing that you did, especially relative to education? You know, I, probably the, the 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 Tennessee promise, like I said, the, the free two years of community college, because I think in the end what it did was just a lot of families in Tennessee, they have this thought of, well, we're not really college people. We can't afford that. No, we, we don't go to college in our family. And what we tried to do was to change the expectation level, the culture, so that around dinner tables in Tennessee, people weren't saying well, you know, I don't know if we can go to college, but but the, the question turned into what, where are you going to go? Um, because that became available. And then hopefully what, what we learned from there was it's not just uh, 
uh, as my friend Randy Boyd you know, used to say, it's access is not the, the only question, it's success. You have to be able to do well once you get there. And so we worked hard to try our K, to tie our K-12 preparation into success once you got to college. Right. So on the national scene, uh, what do you think is the most critical thing for us to focus on now? You know, wow, there's, you know, these are challenging, challenging times. And I'm tempted to say that people wouldn't just kind of throw up their hands in despair and say kind of a pox on both of their houses. I'm I'm tired of this Republican Democrat back and forth. Um, I'm going to go worry about something that feels more productive uh, because it really does matter who we elect. And we have to get past this, this, like I said, not just polarization, but we're just mad at the other side. And we think that, you know, if you believe different than I do, you're, you know, you're, you're believing that not only you're wrong, but you believe it for bad reasons. Right. And bad we, we, yes, exactly. I, instead of just, you take a different viewpoint. And, you know, my, my political mentor was Howard Baker, who uh, I'm sure you knew well as well, uh, as well. And Baker, you know, was an old Scott County lawyer. And he used to always say, always remember the other fellow might be right. Yes, uh, and that's a that's not a bad approach for us to take as we go into these really difficult issues. Yes, absolutely. So I think the question that probably everyone who's listening to this wants me to ask <laughs> is probably, uh, "What's next for you? Do you plan to seek public office again? And what are your thoughts as you start mapping out the next phases of your life?" Yeah, so uh, I, I don't. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not dodging the question. I honestly, don't know about seeking public office. I loved being mayor of Knoxville. I loved being governor of Tennessee. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, I thought seriously, you know, the last two times when when Corker, when Senator Corker retired and when Senator Alexander retired about running for the Senate, right. it just didn't feel like it was the right thing. You know, being a being a senator and being a governor, everybody thinks, well, they're the same thing. They're, they're political jobs, but they're totally different. I mean, one's legislative, one's executive, you know, one you're living in Washington, one you're living in Tennessee. There's just a lot of differences. And it just, for a lot of reasons, decided that wasn't the right thing. I honestly don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I meant it myself. Being in public office was the my the favorite my favorite jobs ever, uh, and I'll be sad if I don't get a chance to do something in public life. But, but it has to fit. I, I think too many people in politics think, well, I, I start off and I run for something, and I always think about what's the next thing I'm going to do. And I don't know that that's the right approach. So, it has to be the right time and be the right fit for for me. And I I just don't know at this point in time. Uh, if or when that will happen. That looks like, yeah. So are you still riding your bicycle? I am. I'm, uh, you know, as I've uh, gotten a little older, it's, it, I am. It's a little a little slower and I still I still run occasionally. Uh, but I tell people, uh, I'm, <clears throat> my office is downtown now, so I'll run. And every now and then you'll see, I'll see my reflection in the storefront windows. I'm like, who is that old man whose legs are just dragging along? And I'm thinking, that's not a run. That's just a forward leaning walk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> That's so. So funny. I am just not not quite as fast uh, as as it was. <laughs> That's good. So, is there anything else you want to talk about while I have you on the on the line here? You know, I, I think first of all, I, I do think this. Where you know, you and I talked a little bit about this before we started the podcast. This, I think this next year or so is going to be really critical for our country. We're we're all coming out of the pandemic. We're all in some ways ready to see each other. We've all picked up some new habits, some good, some not so good, I'm guessing. Uh, And we have businesses 
like yours and others that are saying, what, what do we want to take from what we've learned with this? Um, we have a government that's, you know, taken on, uh, you know, addressed the needs of the pandemic, but taken on debt in a way that we've never done before. I, I tell people the, you know, we're, to put it in perspective, we're going to spend, we spent more in the last year of COVID than the United States spent inflation adjusted on all of World War II. Wow. Okay. So, so you think about, I mean, that, that puts it in perspective, right? So we're going to, we're going to spend, you know, we spend over $5 trillion. Again, if you look at all the taxes collected in, in every way around the country, your, your state, your city, county, state, federal, we only bring in 4.4 trillion a year in all those, and we're going to spend more than that this year. So it just you know, kind of puts into perspective what we're spending now. We we had to do some of that, right? This pandemic was a unique challenge, but it has definitely put us in a different place as a country. And I just think the challenges are lining up. And what I what I'm really hoping is people don't kind of retreat back into their own bubble. Like you know, it was it was kind of it was kind of cozy in my little pandemic bubble and. I loved, you know, not having to engage with issues and people, et cetera. And we were just focused on our family and keeping ourselves healthy. And I'm hoping people will kind of say, uh, while there's a time and place for that, there's there's some real challenges in front of us and the needs are greater than ever, whether it's on a business or solving some of the bigger issues of society and kind of come back out for, for round two of the battle. You know, I think that it's it's interesting trying to uh, figure out that balance after yeah. you're from one extreme. You know, many of us who have been in business for a long time and have been very active in the community were over-programmed, and then we right. were vastly under-programmed. And so to come back out of that with a sense of balance in terms of, I know that's the thing that I've, I've probably taken away from that the most, is I don't have to jump back out there and do every single thing that everybody asked me to do and go to every single gala that happens. What, <laughs> what I, I want to do is focus on the things that I'm now able to do that I've been dying to do for the last year and, and sort of put some limitations on instead of just, you know, going flat out relative to every single opportunity that's out there. Look at the opportunities that really matter, I think, I guess is the big lesson. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I think this is just going to be a really interesting period to see what 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 lasts from the 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 uh, COVID life and what uh, what we learn from and uh, and and change as we go back. And I think there will be several of those things. Uh, I, I just my <clears throat> one one of my I guess concerns is um, I, I think that. What what we've been able to do, or what we've had to do through COVID, is we've had to, like I said, to go retreat to our own worlds. And my concern in that is this: our worlds are becoming increasingly segmented, in the sense of, you know, when 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 we were growing up, you know, everybody, you got your news from, you listened to ABC, CBS, or NBC, and you read your one of your two local newspapers, um, and you probably lived in a community and associated with people of different places on the economic spectrum. And now we can choose our own news. You can say, I like listening to those folks because they tell me what I already believe to be true. Right. And we're becoming more and more kind of stratified in where we live. The, 
our, our neighborhoods are not very economically integrated or racially integrated for that matter either. And my point in all this is we can, if we're not careful, we can end up just talking and associating with people who look like us and think like us. Mm-hmm. And the danger in that is that pretty soon you start thinking, everybody thinks just like I do. You know, who are these idiots on the other side who, you know, don't think the right way? Right. And that's, I guess that's my, one of my concerns coming out of this is it allows us to stratify our lives even more than they have been. And, and that's not a good thing. Right. And if that's the way you're going to live your life, just look in the mirror and talk to yourself. Exactly, because it'll just save you time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Bill, anything else that you want to add? This has been wonderful. It's been so no, fun. it's great. I mean, Chrissy and I are loving being back in Knoxville. I, you know, it's a we, we loved. Like I said, being governor of your home state is it's a huge honor, but it's also it's just it's a it's the best job there is, and so we loved every minute of it. Uh, but th- there's a real joy in being back home too, uh, and we're loving seeing you know old friends and. People that uh, uh, you know we've we've done stuff with for years, and it kind of reminds me not just how beautiful this area is, but just what a great place it is. And I'm I'm struck by out of out of COVID, you know, there's so many people that are saying I don't have to live where I did before, and mm-hmm. some people are you know they're they're moving from you know uh, they're moving from New York or San Francisco to to Nashville or to, to a Charlotte or to Atlanta. Um, or in Austin, there's a lot of folks who are looking around and saying, you know, a town like Knoxville would be a pretty good place to to live and work and raise a family. And it's it's it, I think the folks who live in in this area uh, should take some some great assurance in knowing uh, this is a pretty good place. Yes, and you know, I read a statistic recently, and this uh, may or may not be true, but uh, that that we have a very high percentage or a high per capita number of people who were born in Knoxville, grew up in Knoxville, who don't leave ever. Yeah. The other cities are size. That's true. I, I think I think that's right. And and like I said, you like everywhere else, you you learn to appreciate it more as you get a little older. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> Bill, thank you so much. We appreciate all that you've done and all that I'm sure you're going to continue to do to improve and contribute to our positive quality of life here and your positive quality of life as well. So Uh, Give my best to Chrissy and your family, and we just appreciate you being a part of Sweet Tea and Strategy. Uh, Thanks, Kathy. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you and best to Tommy as well. We'll we'll see each other in person someday. I'm hoping soon. Bye. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.